Today's show is being brought to you by contributors at Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash the education game to support the show and thanks. Hey gamers, this is Matt and today we've got a great interview, one that continues our efforts to help you learn how to become your child's head coach. Now remember, it is your job to actively build and execute your child's learning plan. Why? Because your child's school can't do it. They won't do it. School was built for a completely different time, a time when grades were more important than actual learning, when what you knew mattered, but not what you could do with what you know. That matters now. So these podcasts are meant to create nausea in the listeners, particularly the parents who watch their child take state-mandated tests and assignments. You should feel nauseous because that means your child's school is preparing you for 1985 and not 2035, where curiosity, creativity, problem solving, and character are gonna matter so much more than ever before. So with that happy introduction, let's get into our podcast. This is Matt with The Education Game. Hey gamers, this is Matt again, and I am super excited because I get to introduce you to someone named Blake Bowles, who, someone who has actually influenced our lives in the Barnes household in ways that he may not even realize, although he now has gotten connected to my daughter a little bit, knows how much my daughter has used his writings to shape how she's learning. And so welcome Blake Bowles to the Education Game Podcast. Thank you, Matt. Great to be here. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, off air, Blake and I were just talking a little bit about uh, about his life and how he has, he's not like a digital nomad, but he's close because he can do work from wherever he, you know, wants and he loves to travel. And so we'll get into that, some of that a little bit today. But before that, I want to start with the question that I ask of a lot of folks, Blake, which is, um, I want to understand your origin story. And again, a reminder that the I'm talking to parents on this show. And so parents, I want you all to listen to who this guy is and his background and start to get a piece together what your child's life might look like one day because I think he's actually on the cutting edge of what will become normal in the future years. Blake, can you give me your origin story a little bit? Sure. I went to California public schools, didn't have an alternative upbringing of any sort. Um, I was into math and science and I thought I wanted to become a research scientist. And so I studied hard. I got good grades. I got into Berkeley and I studied something that sounded very impressive to myself and others, which was astrophysics. <laughs> and and that was great and ego stroking. And it's like, yes, you're the winner in this game until about two years into it, I realized that I didn't actually want to be a research scientist. I saw the life of grad students and I said, that's not what I want to be doing. I want to be out in the sun throwing a Frisbee. Right. And also I took linear algebra and quantum mechanics and I was like, oh, this, this is actually very, very difficult. <laughs> and I am no longer on the top of, of this pile anymore. Right. So uh, I was thinking about maybe becoming a high school science teacher. And then someone handed me a book by John Taylor Gatto, the New York mm. City public school teacher who won all these awards. And then he quit teaching because he said, I don't want to make a living hurting kids anymore. Let me just pause you right there, dude. So a lot of parents may not have ever heard of John Gatto. But okay. you, you know, for parents who are out there, he was like the father of what in the world are we doing with, with traditional learning? It just doesn't yeah. make any sense. So he's the one that inspired you, huh? Yeah, I read his book called A Different Kind of Teacher, yeah. which is not his most popular book. His most popular one is Dumbing Us Down, which is also a good book. Yep. And I just devoured this thing. It was like an intellectual revelation. I, I had to keep learning about this stuff. And so 
I ended up going onto Amazon and just, you know, people who bought John Taylor Gatto also bought and I started clicking. Oh, right. And I started reading about democratic free schools and unschooling and all of the, the kind of critical educators of the 60s and 70s and just read very, very widely and within a few months discovered I need to study this stuff full time. So I, mm. I finagled my way into a design your own major program at Berkeley and t literally titled my own undergraduate degree, Alternative Schooling and Science Education. The science education part was kind of a sham. I didn't study how to teach science. We just had to justify <laughs> to, my two years of you science. You had to make it look good. Had. Yeah, I didn't want to start over from scratch. Yeah. So uh, I had a very self-directed second half of college. And yeah, then I, I went into the working world. I did some outdoor education work, which is essentially getting paid to take kids hiking and say like, that's an acorn, that's a deer. And, and that was fine for a little while, but eventually I knew that I really wanted to be working with teenagers hmm. in a sort of summer camp type environment, but longer than a summer camp. And so that's what led me to start my company, Unschool Adventures, and uh, getting to hang out with teenage unschoolers while taking them on international trips was a very handy way to, to learn about their lives. And that led me to write my books yeah. about what it's like to be an unschooler or otherwise a very self-directed learner, especially in the teenage years. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's really cool. So what you just described, again, is this journey, this nonlinear journey from what you thought you were interested in until you actually saw what that meant, right? I'll, I'll just tell you, Blake, I've got a son who uh, is going to school next year, university next year. He wants to study physics. And despite my constant encouragement, he has no understanding what that actually means, right? So I, I, you know, at some point as a parent, I'm like, all right, dude, you're gonna have to, you have to roll with your your game, right? Uh, my guess is at some point he will likely go, wait, this is not what I signed up for, right? And then you begin this journey, and so you have now. Did you, by the way, did you read the book um, Designing Your Life? No, I don't believe so. Okay, that's one you may want to pick up. Uh, it's by University of, I'm uh, sorry, Stanford University Design School. Sorry. Uh, I know that. Oh, Berkeley the D school. And, yeah. Those are good people. Yeah. yeah. I know Berkeley and Stanford, yeah. they don't talk to each other or something, but, um, yeah. but so what Blake has done is he's designed a life that allows him to travel, that allows him to live a life that, that I think maybe he probably dreamed about. Right. But it also gave, gave Blake enough information to know the things he likes and the things he doesn't like. So he can avoid the things he doesn't like and lean into the things he does like. That is a pretty successful adult life in my view. So Blake, continue on. You know, I stumbled upon your book, uh, the, your first book, um, uh, what, College Without High School. College Without High School. <laughs> thank you. Uh, and again, that was back in two thousand and nine, maybe two thousand. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So that's a bit dated, but the principles in there are entirely consistent with yeah. today. So tell me a little bit about that one, and then we'll go through a couple of the other books, including your most recent one that we'll get to in a moment. Sure. Uh, just to, to jump ahead for a moment, mm -hmm. I reviewed all of the research that I did for that first book uh, when I wrote my most recent book uh, in 2000, so 10 years later. Yeah. And like you said, all of the same ideas about how you get into college if you don't have a traditional uh, you know, school upbringing. Yeah, they're the same. It really yeah. hasn't changed. And right. so that's right. that's a pleasant realization. It, it, hasn't um, changed. it hasn't changed in 40 years, actually. So it's, it's uh, yeah. 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 That's <laughs> interesting. All right. So um, I got involved with this community of unschoolers called Not Back to School Camp. 
which is like the summer camp for teenage unschoolers. It's a very cool place. Interesting. And so I, this was right after I finished college. And hey, Blake, this but, was my first. I'm sorry, but I need to interrupt you because some of yeah. the parents that might be listening to you, they don't don't know what unschooling is. Can oh, you give a quick, well, you know, yeah. Allow me, please. Allow me. So unschooling is just about taking advantage of existing homeschooling laws but not just trying to replicate school at home. It's yeah. about kind of maximizing the self-directed element. Uh, and no matter which state you're in, in the United States, and also in, in some other countries around the world, um, you can use homeschooling laws to do very fun, creative, flexible things and, and not just replicate the school system. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, yeah. back to uh, college. Not back to school camp. Oh, yes. back to school I, camp, yes. So I got involved with this, this um, summer camp community. And, and until this point, I had only read about all of these kind of self-educated, self-directed uh, young people yeah. from a very academic perspective. And so get, getting to actually meet them was uh, a big eye-opener for me. Hmm. And what's, di what's different that, about those kids? Well, in, in some ways, there's nothing different about them. They are, I, I think, pretty typical of the, let's say, the same socioeconomic background. If you just kind of you know, compared them to the, the other kids in the same area, uh, same income bracket that's growing up. They're, they're they're not that different. They're not like super outliers. They're not, uh, you know, total weirdos. They're they're not unsocialized. I, I think that the whole socialization question is a fun one because, um, yes, in some ways, yes, the critics are right. It's like if you take an average sample of homeschoolers and compare them to an average sample of kids at school, you will probably see a a bit less socialization in the homeschoolers, but then you have to ask, it's it's the chicken or the egg, right? Yeah. Are they are they less socialized? We can talk about what that even means and if it's important because they were homeschooled or are they homeschooled because kind of the, the person who they are is just like a little bit different and not a good fit for this monolithic school system. And therefore it's an act of charity and kindness to right, to give kid. them the space to be themselves, right? Exactly. So let's talk yeah. for a minute. And Blake, I know I'm all over the place here, but like I said, we're having a cup of we'll coffee. We'll find our way again, I'm sure. That's yeah. right. Uh, I was on a call yesterday with a, uh, a woman, a podcaster from uh, uh, United Kingdom. And she, you know, her first question was, well, what about socialization? Now you touched on it a little bit. Um, help me, so here's how I answer that question. I wanna get your thoughts on it. So I said, um, you know, socialization that you learn in schools is a double-edged sword. Um, one, you learn how to interact with kids who are the same age as your as yourself, right? Um, but you don't learn how to interact with any everyone else in the world, whether they be older or younger. You don't get the opportunity to practice interacting and talking about things that older people talk about, et cetera. So that was the first piece. And then the second one was, um, you know, in school, you, you actually learn a lot of negative social stuff too. Yeah. And I don't think we tend to, tend to think about that, but it's it's exactly what you're describing in terms of um, narrowing your vision of what your life could be because you have to conform and, and you know, to, to your social context. So is that how you imagine, um, or how's you, how you see some of the kids in this, uh, what do you call it? The unschooled, uh, not, not back to school, school yeah. camp. These are kids that are freer to become who they may have actually been. Well, let me go back and, and first agree with you on the double-edged sword yeah. uh, analogy. And actually, I, I love the title of your show, The Education Gain, because I think that that's the kind of socialization that's happening in school. You're learning how to play a very specific kind of game. Yes. Um, and you're learning how to compete and win. 
in that game and right. often win at, at any cost. That's right. And so that's where the, what I consider the negative socialization to come in. It can lead to these these very tribal and, and vicious uh, kind of manifestations of behavior. Uh, kind of, I think bullying exists kind of in any community you can find, but I think it's the environment of school exacerbates bullying. It just brings it up to this whole other level. Um, Were you bullied? Schoolyard politics? A, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I was. Like, I, don't, I don't think enough to like be traumatized by it, but I, I definitely was not immune to it. Well, and, and I'll say that you know, I, look, I can't think of many kids I know who weren't. And the kids, and in every case, they had to shape themselves. They had to kind of change who they were in order to fit the mold so they wouldn't be bullied as much or they could kind of stay under the radar. Um, anyway, that's that's another conversation. And, and, and listen, I, I don't want to say that like all adversity is bad, right? There are different kinds of stress and, and we want to promote the healthy kinds of stress sure. and not the unhealthy and extreme kinds of stress. And so when people say, well, it's good for kids to get bullied a little bit, they have to learn how to survive in the world. It's like there is a certain truth to that. But I mm -hmm. think that the default experience for most kids in school it goes way overboard and that's the negative socialization part yeah. it also teaches young people like not to look adults in the eye and and treat them as real people because there's an automatic like authority structure there us and them it makes them afraid yeah. yes it teaches them that learning is something to be you know gamed and to to be done with as quickly as possible right um you know it's all about performing to to there's a book i love called the case against education, which talks about the the signaling that happens in in all levels of education, but especially high school and college, and and how really young people are taught to just go after the signal that will maximize their sort of economic potential, which, which is usually grades, grades. Or, or other indicators of uh, conventional success, yeah. which is it's, which is very different from building up your self knowledge, your awareness of kind of who you are, where you might fit in this world, how you'll contribute, kind of your personality. Right. That's what these unschoolers, that's the work that they were doing. That's what I witnessed at the summer camp and later on getting to work with self-directed young people in lots of different environments. Got it. So then when you decided to write uh, College Without High School, that was, and again, I, you know, I read it and I was like, okay, kids, <laughs> <laughs> some, I'm going to let you choose a lot of things, but this is one thing you have to read. Yeah. That's just kind yeah, of a mandatory reading list. Right. So uh, yeah, you had not grown up this way. But you start interacting with these kids and then yeah. you you kind of drew up a map of how to get from middle school, really even before middle school, to a college of your choice. And so give me the some of the maybe the two key points. If you're a parent, what are the two points that you want them to take away from that book or maybe incite, entice them to buy the sure. book, which I've been recommending, uh, to help them kind of frame what that book is about and how they should think about it? Sure. I think one key point is that getting into college with a non-traditional background is a lot more about results than it is about process. We Excellent. assume that you have to go through the standard process of taking the normal curriculum, getting normal grades, uh, doing the normal extracurriculars, you know, SATs, the whole, we, we mm -hmm. all know what this looks like. Yep. But in the end, if you can just prove a certain kind of list of key characteristics that colleges care about. And, and some of these are very traditional. It's like, yeah, you need to show a certain intellectual capacity. You need to have a certain, you know, breadth of knowledge. You can show that you're going to be able to handle a number of different uh, types of courses, yes. assuming you're going into a traditional liberal arts undergraduate program. Um, so yes, you still need to show very similar things 
to what regular high school students are doing, but there are such more interesting and engaging ways to go about proving those results. And less time and, intensive. Well, yeah, in a way that someone who's doing something that they love, you know, the, the passing of time often doesn't feel like, mm. like excruciating like it does in school when you're being forced to take math at a certain pace, when you're being forced to go through a certain like science curriculum yes. uh, in a certain way, it's, it's like, let's just like let kids do what they're really interested in doing. And you can extract the little kind of academic elements. You can frame it in the language of college prep. And yes, yeah, sometimes a kid is not going to naturally motivate themselves to do something which is non-negotiable for colleges. Like math is a classic thing that a lot of unschoolers will just not naturally kind of strong earn themselves into doing. Math is one of the things they're very happy to just say goodbye to when they stop going to regular school. And then when they need to take the SAT or they need to take some sort of other entrance exam, uh, they need to show that they can do, for example, um, you know, algebra and geometry. So they have to kind of get their butts uh, in line and and fill in those gaps. But you know what? When they're doing it on their own schedule and when they see, a, this is the most crucial part, when the kid sees their own unique reason for needing to do this thing. It's like, I wanna go to college to study computer programming because I love Fortnite so much. I wanna be able to contribute to that world or build the next Fortnite. And in order to do that, I need to take algebra. Then all of a sudden, even if the kid is completely math phobic, Yes. It'll be like, okay, I have my reason for doing this math. And, and even if that's just, let's get this done as quickly as possible, like it changes everything. Then the parent and the teachers are no longer the enemies who are like strong arming the kid into doing this and like Bingo. playing these horrible games and ma manipulating the, the kid and sticks and carrots. It's like, no, then you're on the same team as that's the right. kid. And you that's say, right. I want to help you do what you want to do. And yes, that means breaking this big goal down into all these little tiny steps. And some of these are going to be unsavory steps, but that's life. Welcome to life. You have that's arrived. Right. That's right. So let me pause you there because you, you said a lot in that. Yeah. Uh, but the key part that I want to, want to take away, and I'm going to tell you a quick story. The key part is once a child identifies a goal that they set, now the motivation starts to spike. And you'd never need to strong arm, arm a kid or browbeat them or reward them or punish them if they are pursuing something that is in their uh, in their wheelhouse. And and that's the real trick here. We have if we can figure out how to help a kid find the things they're passionate about. Now the parent can actually step away and and watch and coach. And so and that's exactly what you're describing. Let me tell you a quick story real quick about my son. So we for years tried to you know, strong on arm him into playing piano, right? It it didn't work. Like we we didn't we we decided not that that battle wasn't worth fighting, right? But when COVID hit, now he's in a traditional high school. When COVID hit, he started just first dinking around on the piano, just a few minutes a day. Now this kid is playing two hours a day on the piano. He's composing music. He is uh, finding uh, songs that he likes, that he hears, and he just figures out how to play them. It is like nothing I've ever seen. And like the question I ask parents or myself, my wife, I say, well, what would it have taken for us to get him to practice two hours a day? How much emotional trauma would we have to inflict in order for that to happen? It's significant, right? It's the whole tiger mom. Uh, I was about strategy. to say tiger mom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, okay. So the first part of 
of what you would say to a parent is this question of uh, helping the child find something that they're passionate about. And once they find it, now they're off to the races on their own. What's a second strategy or concept from your first book uh, uh, that you would want parents to hear that can help them kind of um, move well, a little bit closer? Well, Matt, I, I, I'm going to try to answer this in a slightly different way than you're asking. Okay. I, I think that we've actually hit the two main concepts, which is one, results over process. And then the second thing is just help them follow their interests and the natural motivation will appear. I mean, really, yeah. that's that's yeah. the basis of the book. But just to answer this question a, a bit differently, um, this bridges into what I wrote my second book about, mm -hmm. which is about choosing not to go to college. And because uh, there are some unschoolers, that this is a big concern for parents. They think if I let my kids step off the treadmill, then they're just going to leave formal education, never look back. And then they'll they'll never be able to get back on the wagon if they decide right. they want to. Right. And uh, that's a significant concern. Yes, it is. And, and and that's why I wrote the first book and, and centered it around the question of how do you go to college? Because that is our culturally accepted um, and, and economically validated way to become a successful adult yep. uh, in this world. There are exceptions and the exceptions are what I wrote about in the second book, which is better than college. Yeah. Um, and so. I just want to say that you can go either direction. I felt like it was important to start with the more mainstream direction. And also for me to be true to myself, I had a very life-changing and, and positive experience in college. And I, I it would not be fair for me to, to just say structured education, all formal education is bad. No, I would be a hypocrite to say that. Mm. Um, but there are definitely some young people, whether they are uh, alternatively educated or not, who do a very good job of thriving outside of formal higher education. I'm not going to, to waste anyone's time by talking about the classic tech savant uh, sure, examples. Sure. Yeah. There, there are many more people who, who don't achieve such fame, who uh, I think whose lives are better off for not going to college. And often, if that means that they did not take on an onerous amount of student debt Bingo. in the process, then they have, they have kept their options way more open as a 22 year old who did not who does not have any debt but has accumulated some work experience has some sort of resume has been trying to figure out their passions i would much rather be in that situation and have a good relationship with my parents because my parents have been on my team yes then be the 22 year old who was forced into college has no idea why they're there just did some major to please their parents and society at large and took on a bunch of debt. And now you're 22 years old. You've got $50,000 in debt. You got to start paying off within six months and good luck to you. That's right. That's right. So I, I want to pause. You, you mentioned parents being on your team. A lot of this, uh, Blake, I think, I mean, I think I heard it when reading your books is this question about what, how, and how we define success. And if success is defined by college, or career, or just those kind of narrow bands, then uh, it's gonna it creates a, a natural conflict where the parent is saying, "I want you to be successful," and the child not cl not clear for themselves what success actually means. And so, yes, it does create these. And again, you know, the tiger mom strategy, um, I would say it worked for for a period of time. Um, you know, it 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 you strong arm a child to do all the things to check all the box boxes. And they get to college and they, you know, go on and have have their quote unquote happy life. Now, well, though, oh, go ahead. I, I just want to play devil's advocate here. I think that approach still does work in many ways, Matt, in the sense that if you can vault a kid through whatever means necessary into these 
the upper echelons of the elite education system, it does uh, provide a certain network of yep. opportunities. Sure it opens up certain doors. You want to go work at, at McKinsey, you want to, you know, become president of the United States, get, make sure you go to Yale or Harvard Law, right? That's right. And so there is a certain truth to that. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here, but but I, I feel like I'm probably going to agree with what you're about to say. <laughs> well, I'm not even sure what I was going to say now. I it's, uh, <laughs> kind of lost my train of thought there. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were saying like the Tiger Mom approach did work for a while. Yes, but, yes. Uh, but the world has shifted on us. And what I'm saying now is that the likelihood of moving into a job and staying in a career for any length of time is virtually zero now. That you're going to be moving not only careers yeah. but industries multiple times, and you, and a, a person's ability to learn is really the key um, currency uh, to learn quickly, to learn anything, to have the confidence they need to learn. And confidence doesn't come from being strong-armed into doing something. In fact, very much the opposite that can actually occur. Confidence comes from doing something, realizing you're able to do it and then repeating it over and over and over again. So there's there's something there to me that's pretty important. So Better Than College was the second part. Is that your second book, correct? Or is that your third? Yeah. The second book, okay. And so that book talked about life outside of the college structure, yes? Now, correct. again, again to your point, parents are like, well, no, my, my child's going to college. And again, what's happened in this world of work, and, and I share this all the time, but there are lots of companies that are saying, we don't actually need a college degree anymore. You know, you you just have to demonstrate skills. Now, again, not to suggest that a college degree is not important. It is. At the same time, there's a lots of there are lots of pathways into a life of stability. That's yeah. a key point yeah. I'm trying to make. So, get, going on to your next book, Art of Self Directed <laughs> Learning. So much I want to talk about with you. Yeah, the third book. Uh, thir third book was my attempt to write like a shorter, more illustrated, more playful book, and that was called The Art of Self Directed Learning. It was stories from my life working with unschoolers on my trips and in my programs and also uh, kind of interesting profiles that I found out there in the world. Yeah. And, and so that's a, a short, fun book. It's a good like uh, book for someone who considers themselves a non-reader, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's like the chapters are two very small pages. Yeah. Now, does um, self-directed mean that um, if the child likes to play uh, video games, that that's that's what they do all day? What does that mean? Ooh, like, I, I tackle video games in a big way in my most recent book, really? uh, Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? And I would, uh, in general, I stand up for video games. Uh -huh. And I stand up for what others would probably consider an unreasonable amount of, of permitted gaming time. So talk to me um, more I'm about not, that. Because this comes up yeah. this comes up probably for every conversation I have with a parent yeah. of a boy. The the parent uh in the UK I talked to yesterday. Yeah. This issue came up. So let me hear what you would say to uh to that mom whose son seems like if you gave him the freedom he would play video games yeah. all day long every day. Well let me build a little foundation here. Um, so I've hung out with a lot of unschoolers mm -hmm. who are generally families who combined a little bit of, of parent um, kind of required stuff like, okay, you got to do math, but then you can still do like anything else you want. It still yes. feels like a crazy amount of freedom to most parents. Um, but I've also hung out and been around radical unschoolers, mm. which is this kind of subdomain where the principles of, of kind of giving a kid choice are taken to their maximum extent and often applied into other realms outside of education. So for example, bedtimes, screen time, food, yeah. chores, yeah. that kind of stuff. 
And so I actually know a number of young people who are now in their 20s or 30s who were raised in the, the radical unschooling environment and who came out just fine. And these yeah. were ones who did spend incredible hours, 12 hours a day, sometimes playing video games. And they did not turn out to be, you know, complete failure to launch just like, right. you know, they're 33 in their parents' in the basement, basement right. wiping right. the flaming hot Cheeto dust off of the t-shirt. <laughs> it's like, no, um, you really can let a kid indulge, you know, let, let's choose our words carefully here. We can say interests, we can say passions, hobbies, um, or obsessions. And mm. I feel like there's really a thin line between all of these things. And for me personally, as a young person, especially as a teenager, I needed the chance to become obsessed with things for a while. I essentially needed to get things out of my system. I would become mm. extremely captivated by something, want to know everything about it, go deep into it. And I did this with video games and computer games and Magic the Gathering and also skateboarding and snowboarding. I you know, had a kind of a diverse portfolio of things I was into. Yeah. It wasn't all games. But when I was deep into those games, especially, um, you know, I was growing up in the 90s when kind of the really good networked computer games were first coming onto the scene. Halo, uh, was that, that one of them? Well, no, no, I, I was Quake you know, oh, okay. way before. Uh, gotcha. But the precursors to what we have now in terms of uh, Fortnite, Minecraft, The Sims, um, I was playing the same types of games. And these games were, were fascinating. These, they were complex worlds. This was not playing Pac-Man. Uh, this was like you were going into something really, really deep and complicated and challenging. And especially with the multiplayer games, you had to act together with other people. You're not just, you know, when I was very young, I played Legend of Zelda and you're just sitting in front of the, the Nintendo Entertainment System playing a game by yourself. That's challenging in a certain way, but it's not social. Yes. You'll notice that the games that kids go craziest for nowadays are these complicated social games that are difficult. And that's the most important thing. You need to watch your kid when they are voluntarily throwing themselves at difficult problems over and over again, because that is the transferable life skill that you want to nurture in them. And oftentimes that is what is happening with games. Mm -hmm. um, my book, my most recent book, uh, really relies a lot on another book called Reality is Broken by the game designer Jane McGonigal. Hmm. And she brought up a number of really interesting observations for me, which I relay in, in my book. One of them is... When a kid wins uh, a quest, you know, defeats a, a boss in World of Warcraft, yeah. the reward is not the end of the game. The reward right. is playing another more challenging level right. of the game. Right. That is a good thing. And so my argument is, uh, no, not necessarily let kids play all the games they want forever and ever. Like there are addictive qualities to these games. There are limits that reasonable people can set. But... If you see a kid obsessed with something that is really challenging and they just keep wanting to throw themselves at this challenge, especially when the game is social, um, let them do it. Let them get that bug out of their system because they are learning and growing when they're doing it. And engagement yeah. is the key metric. That's right. So one of the things I recommend to parents is to try to understand more about what it is that that kid really, really likes about that game. Because it's more than just playing, you know, uh, uh, you know the video game. It's actually Andy Crush. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the, but there's a social element of most of those games, as you mentioned, that they love being a part of a team. 
They love uh, you know, having these constant challenges. They love seeing their skills grow, right? Those are things that you want to try to unpack from the child so that they can have a similar recognition of those the same dynamics later on in life. When they're seeing their skills grow, when they're seeing they're part of a team and the team's doing something really challenging, that can be any in any context. Um, so, okay. And- Go on, go on. And we could do this to, all day, build, by the way. I know, I know. Day. I just want to throw one more thing on top <laughs> of what you said. I, I'd feel remiss if I didn't. Yeah. And so also what kids get out of games is a sense of control. Uh-huh. And that in, in psychology, like that's such an important thing for, for overall well-being yeah. for people. Yeah. Yeah. And if we just look at how the school as an institution has grown over the past 50 years, like it's become a, a very all-pervasive you know, type of activity. It just, it fills in more and more hours. It, it follows kids into the home. And yes. so there are a few places, even sports teams, often, you know, parents are so involved in that. There, there are a few places where kids can feel a genuine sense of control over their lives, where they sure. can have their own community. And that's what games often fulfill. Yeah, and that's so right. there's a bit of a catch 22. You let your kid drop out of school, perhaps if you're going full, you know, whole hog unschooling here, you let your kid drop out of school, do whatever they want. There is a very good chance that they will go deep into something like games because it makes them feel good. It gives them a sense of control. But on the other side of that, once they're no longer uh, monopolized by school, there's less need to kind of, you know, desperately grasp for those environments that, that give you just this little sense of control. And and so it's, it's a catch 22. It is, it is. And, and, you know, a lot of this also is the context of the family as well. But, um, you know, I would love to maybe, because we're getting a little tight on time here, I'd love to talk a bit more about some of these specific topics at maybe some later date. Video games is one of the big ones. Really having some deep t- conversations about your recommendations and me giving you some examples of parents I've spoken with. Uh, maybe I'll just ask you straight up what you would do. Um, but, um, but the last thing I want to do really is to make sure this last book that you the most recent one, why are you still sending your child, your kids, excuse me, to school? Talk briefly about what's different about that book and who's that for and who should pick that book up. This book is like the the one ring to rule them all. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings analogy. Big Lord of the uh, Rings fan. So it has a lot of the content from the previous books, including um, how you get into college if you don't go to high school, uh, good reasons to consider not going to college, kind of a general introduction to this idea of self-directed learning. But there was research that I was doing uh, between essentially 2014 and 2018, which I I could no longer ignore. And it really had to be integrated into this big picture. Hmm. Some of that research was reading the parenting literature and the history of parenting and the the change in parenting philosophy and approach that has happened over the past, uh, especially the past 30 years, but but broadly speaking over the past hundred years. And as a non-parent myself, um, I've only had the chance to interact with a bunch of other people's kids, kind of like crowdsourcing this information. Right. And so filling in the the sort of like scholarly gaps in my knowledge was an eye-opening thing. And getting to write in this new book about intensive parenting. And I, I think a very good approximation for intensive parenting is tiger mom parenting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And talking about the connection between that and uh, parent-child relationships and the education system yeah. was uh, a very important puzzle piece to add into that. The research about gaming and gaming as a proxy for um, letting kids become obsessed with things that that they find challenging and interesting, even if parents, you know, really struggle to wrap their head around why this is so important to the kid. Yeah, yeah. That was another important part there. And yeah. finally, 
uh, mental health is something that needs to be discussed because uh, again, more of my research showed there's this like steadily snowballing mental health crisis, especially among young people, middle school, high school, college age, young people. Yep. And, and social media connections. And... Yeah. The, you know, I, I don't dwell too much on that. I think that's okay. a very interesting question, but I, I, I don't yet feel like an authority on that subject. Okay. Um, so the broader question of how do you promote uh, just, you know, general positive mental health, you know, how do you reduce anxiety and depression symptoms in young people? And how is that connected to school and school pressures, whether it comes from educators or from from parents. Yeah. And so in the end, it's it's the best uh, kind of collection of arguments that I can muster to convince a parent whose kid is not enjoying school, is clearly yeah. being hurt by it in some way, large or small, to stop sending their kids to school. Because this is not something that a kid can get, you know, opt out of on their own. They, they need parental support, moral support, financial support, legal support in order right. to stop going to school. And so yeah. this is my book for parents. Well, uh, so for the parents listening, you know, all I am all, what I am all about is upskilling parents. So parents can know exactly the options that are available to them. Again, a, a quote that I often use is, if you have no options, then you uh, cannot negotiate. And if you cannot negotiate, then you are a slave. And so oh, parents, I love that. yes, that's, uh, that's Jordan Peterson. And so parents, when you don't know how many options are on the table, you are forced to choose a school that may not fit for you or your, or your family. And so what Blake is talking about here in his books, um, I would recommend actually College Without High School uh, for a framing, and this is what I've done in the past, for a framing of what it means to learn outside of a school context. And then this last book, which I'm actually not done with at this point, but it sounds like it's it's the book, again, the one, one book to rule them all kind of thing. Um, I would encourage you to look at it because if you're not building your skill set, then you are not going to be able to lead your child. And if you trust that someone else is going to lead your child, then you are putting your child at risk. And I think there's a ton of data on out there to show that. That's what I'm trying to do is introduce you to people like Blake who are who are looking at the world differently and who have seen beautiful outcomes, beautiful results from a non-traditional pathway. So Blake, listen, man, it's been great having you on. Would love to have you back at some point. Thank you for what you've done with my family and my daughters who are like, you know, reading your book and going, okay, I got a game plan. So thank you very much for that. And I look forward to further interactions with you uh, in, in the near future, okay? Thanks for the opportunity, Matt. I'd love to talk again. Good deal. Thanks, Blake. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, parents. I hope that this was useful, that it started to give you a bit more of an indication of how learning is shifting and, and the things that you as a parent need to be upskilled about. That's what we're about here in the education game. So we're thankful that you were here. Again, hopefully it was, list it was helpful to you. Remember, you can call us to ask us questions free of charge about your family and your child's educational plan and learning journey, uh, go to our website at theeducationgame.com slash contact. Click on the button there and schedule a time for us to have a conversation. Free of charge, completely free of charge. And it's just a service that we provide. It's underwritten by supporters. So thank you for those supporters as well. Hope this was helpful. Looking forward to seeing you next time on the Education Game Podcast. Take care.